This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. I'm a big automation enthusiast. If anything has to be repeated more than twice or thrice, a human being should not be doing that. If it doesn't have any judgment involved, we need to leverage automation so that we human beings are equipped to really help with judging things or making decisions. If it is a repetitive task, it is not for human beings because we have more interesting things now to work on. You, like our guest, Prakash Koto, the CIO of Autodesk, may also be an automation enthusiast. And you might be already automating many of the household tasks in your daily chores list. Consumer automations are fun and have transformed society in many ways, but cultivating an automation mindset for enterprises is where the exciting changes of the future are happening now. As we wrap up our three-part automation series, Prakash shares more about the way Autodesk is guiding the innovation of the future thanks to automation. Our automation series is brought to you by Salesforce Platform and Dreamforce 2022. We don't want you to miss out on the world's largest software conference with a healthy dose of magic. So log in to Salesforce Plus for more automation-focused sessions. That's salesforce.com slash P-L-U-S. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, we are doing a little something different. It is our automation series where we're talking to some of the top tech leaders in the world about their role, their companies, and what they're doing with automation today. For today's guest, we have... Prakash Koda. He is the CIO of a company called Autodesk. He's been on IT Visionaries before. If you want to learn more about him and his career, click the link in the show notes below. We're going to send you to the original episode. But Prakash, welcome back to IT Visionaries, man. Thank you, Albert. Thanks for having me. Hey, listen, if if just in case anyone hasn't gotten a chance to listen to that first episode, let's set the stage so our audience gets to know. If you could, really quick, tell our audience what exactly is Autodesk and what does it do? Because it's one of those companies that's huge, but not a lot of people, you know, like, I don't use Autodesk. I don't know what it is, right? So <laughs> give, give our audience a flavor of what this is. Yeah, no, Autodesk, our vision is a better world designed and made for all. And so we make design software so that our customers can make anything, literally anything. So if you, and most of us, uh, most of the folks know us through AutoCAD or a design software or a CAD software, and we are beyond that. And uh, we have been in the industry since 1982, helping designers, architects, uh, all the folks who have this great imaginary power to design things, to bring it to real world of what the new possibilities are. And that's what we do. So we give our tools to them so that, and we tell them to stretch their imaginary power so that they can really bring the new possible and build our future that is sustainable and that is for all. And so that's what we do. We are into engineering, construction, manufacturing, media and entertainment, wide variety of uh, design products. And we used to ship DVDs to our customers when I first joined Autodesk, and now we give our access to the cloud, uh, access to our products in the cloud. So we are a subscription-only company, and so we have gone through a huge transformation. And I have been fortunate and lucky enough to participate and to be part of that journey. <laughs> 
I use the analogy, you know, because you mentioned designers when I was talking to some of the other team members about who you were and the company was. I said, you know how Adobe Creative Suites, for like anyone who wants to make something beautiful and design centric, the designers Autodesk caters to are going to be making physical, beautiful things, things that are in the real world that they got to touch. And, and typically they got to work. I like to say that, like there's like a level of science involved. <laughs> that has got to work. We're not talking about, you know, making an eraser. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about something that has to like have some type of structural integrity for sure. Autodesk, Autodesk is involved. You know, when we think about like what you just said, this evolution of the company you talked about earlier being there from the days of shipping CDs and CD-ROMs to customers so they can download that. You know, we're here today to talk about automation and how it's fundamentally transformed the way we deliver services and also run businesses and internal business units. You know, give us an idea for yourself. How has automation changed the way Autodesk has been able to scale their business? Because every CIO we talk to talks about just, you know, multiple components of what it's doing for them. From your perspective, what are you seeing it's enabling your team to do and what it's, you know, what are some of the critical, I guess, critical functions or features or critical capabilities it's unlocking for your company? Yeah, no, if you look at it, right? See, for me, I'm a, first of all, I'm a big automation enthusiast is what I call myself, where if anything has to be repeated more than twice or thrice, I'm like a human being should not be doing that. <laughs> if it doesn't have any judgment involved, we need to leverage automation so that we human beings are equipped to really help with judging things or making decisions and then doing things. If it is a repetitive task, it is not for human beings because we have more interesting things now to work on. And so this is where we have to augment with automation to really scale. So for us, when we see automation, right? So we were also, when I talk about it from a company lens standpoint, we we're in the design space, but we are also helping our customers once they design, when they want to bring it to the real world, mm. how do we help automate the process from the design state to bring it to the real world? There's always a, so much wastage that happens, planning, inefficiencies that create. So we are also trying to come up ways and tools so that our customers can automate their turning the design into reality. That's one aspect. For me and with my responsibility, where I focus a lot is on experience. For me, automation is a tactic used to create a frictionless experience. For us, self-service and experience is a key goal in the company, whether we talk about customers, partners, or employees. What do I mean by self-service? We all have this consumer mentality. We want everything instantaneously. We are just like, we don't have it. One thing that we all don't have now that we used to have is patience. Yeah, no patience. <laughs> like we need, I need now. And with a click of a button, you can't take four or five steps. Nobody has any more patience to read a run book or a notebook to understand how do I set this up. It has to be one click away, which means you need to hide the complexity and you need to bring that user experience forward. And all that happens behind is magic for the user but it's all the experience and all that needs to be done. And how is it done? Through automated steps, through workflows that we connect together, stitch together. And that's what for me is automation, is hiding complexity, giving that consumer-like experience on demand. Give us some examples of what are some of the things that you and your company have automated. And I'd love to hear like kind of the evolution of it because automation is one of those things where, you know, it depends on who you are, but it sounds like you got a, diff you got a team that, 
thrives and enjoys this idea of let's solve these problems. But we've heard, we have heard nightmare stories in the past of people saying, hey, they're not certain. Hey, there's a lot of exceptions. Like a lot of times, you know, I joke at my company, I always say, hey, I don't want to manage exceptions. Let's manage to the standard and allow the exceptions to figure it out. Self, I don't want to like say we have to build for the exceptions. That sounds, that sounds terrible, right? I'm with you. Yeah. How did you start embarking on this journey? What were some of the things that you first started deciding to automate? And then of course, kind of give us a flavor for how you do and shoot what you choose to automate today. Yeah. No, I think good question. It Again, it's not because automation and because I'm a technologist by heart too. So engineer by domain, how I grew up. So naturally, I love to build things. Right. And so I, it's not about automation is a technology cool thing that I want to do. We start everything with what outcomes do we want to achieve and what process do we want to streamline and how does the business process or workflows work and how do we really remove the friction and where does automation come into play? So that's the approach we take. And there are several tools that we have leveraged, whether you take, whether it's an RPA, intelligent automation, hyper automation, citizenship development, you name it, it differs from area to area. But all how we started is like, you take an example, you have a new employee joining us and there is a set of processes that needs to be done mm. because we we are recruiting big time because we are scaling and growing as a company. And if we're scaling and growing, we can't have the same repeated manual steps of process to onboard an employee and because the steps are very same. And can we really streamline that, automate that through one-click process so that one, the hiring manager doesn't need to keep relearning the same processes over and over again as they recruit or forget what the processes were and then get panicked before a new employee joins? How do we make it streamlined? How do we make that experience seamless? And also for the new employee, we don't want to create anxiety when they're joining us to really figure out, I don't know how all the processes work. I don't know what all tools they use. That should not be their fear. If we are hiring them for a specific role, whether it is in engineering, whether it is in finance, legal, HR, marketing, whatever division it is, we are hiring for your domain expertise, not to get worried about all the tools and processes that you need to know how to use. For that, I, for me, that's an experience that we need to create seamlessly. Like you don't need to know our recipe of everything, how, how things work here. It should be seamless because we were never taught how to install an iPhone or how to start using it or somebody didn't come and teach us. We figured it out. And that's the mindset we have. So we really define what the outcomes we want to drive. From an employee experience standpoint, our goal is what are those actions that employees are taking repeatedly? And what are the five top actions that are pushing where we are getting a lot of service requests or actions or they are requiring human help? How can we continuously automate those things so that they can go for self-help or reach out when it's required on demand rather than waiting for somebody else to respond to those requests? So we are continuously looking at users' behaviors in the way they consume things and how do we remove that friction? And we have also launched chatbots like this week. We also launched our first universal chatbot as an example. We used to have an IT bot. Mm -hmm. Now we are expanding elsewhere like how do we have a universal chatbot where it's not specifically, oh, this is an IT bot, that's a HR bot, this is a finance bot or a travel bot. Like we don't want to have 10 bots. So the goal is how do we have one universal bot for an employee that they can go and ask to get whatever they need instantaneously? That's pretty good. It's a buddy that they have that they can really look into. And, and so that's the kind of automation that we are doing behind the scenes for the experiences we want to drive. So 
for a company the size of Autodesk, the one thing that we've learned from every company or CIO that's been on this show, and of course, Mission is a small company and we have a, a lot of software's steps and process. Uh, so then I would imagine at a company like Autodesk, it's like 10 times more. And there's this idea that you, you know, we used to think of automation as building between two technologies. Now it's like layered technologies where like this, you know, a action in one tool is going to cause an action in another, and it's going to cause downstream effects into multiple tools to automate that process as simple as possible. When you think for yourself, what does it take? How do you evaluate which things to invest in? Because you mentioned before you start at the outcome. Hey, I want, for example, you said earlier, faster onboarding. So then you're going to look at all the steps in between that make it slow and say, what can we, what can we automate here? When you think about it that way, I mean, it makes complete sense, but at the same time, you're probably also getting requests. Like people are trying to also ask you to like, Hey, yeah. oh gosh, can you yeah. fix this for me? How do you, how do you figure out, how do you evaluate what, what you're going to work on? Because when those inbound requests come, do you try to map them back to goals? Do you try to map them back to just who it is? How do you try to map out and what are you going to choose to invest your time and energy in trying to automate that process? That's a great question, Albert. That's a typical tricky challenge because we only have X amount of capacity <laughs> yeah. and how many can you really solve? See, first is outcomes, the next is impact. When we, when we do ruthless prioritization in Autodesk, what we go through is when I finish achieving these outcomes, how many users does this impact? Mm. If it is going to be impacting all employee base in the way this works or a particular person of employees, or if it is just going to impact me and my dog, <laughs> then you know, you know what, you just get over it and figure out a manual process because we can't get to it. But maybe, so that's, this is where the prioritization takes first about outcomes, next impact, how broad is it going to impact? What is the user base? And then, and then prioritize it. And in some cases, right, more and more as we are scaling as a company and the maturity in automation, we are also getting to a stage where I don't need to have my team automated for others. Uh, this is where the whole reskilling and up-leveling and upskilling is happening in several divisions in the uh, across the company, where we are enabling teams to self-automate within their own portfolio what they can oh, cool. and consume it on the platform. I call it citizen automation, citizen development and citizen automation, where we have we are not in the mindset of no, I'm in the mindset of how do I enable them not do the work for them. How do I create platforms that they can consume to be effective and productive, not get needing to, okay, get back in queue, take a token, wait for your turn. Nobody has patience again. <laughs> if I'm a CIO and I just heard that where I want, I, I agree. Citizen development is one of those, th those terms that has been used, uh, you know, quite a bit, let's say the last five years or maybe less. But I can tell you from interviewing different CIOs and CTOs at different companies that it's not everywhere yet. It's definitely not everywhere yet. Well, how do you go about promoting that culture? Because that's something that is amazingly powerful, right? Which is this autonomous thinking, this idea that, hey, I work, this is my department and or my team. This is what we do. We have identified a way to possibly make our jobs easier so that we can work, do more of the critical work, like you said, like the repetitive tasks, like how do I get this out of my job? And you're saying, hey, you've now educated or taught me as a person that can just do it, implement it. How did you go about building that culture, that capability? Because I think that is something that many CIOs want to know. Like, how'd you do that? Yeah. I think you, you touched on a critical word through that question is the culture. 
and everything whatever we do connects back to our top goals this is one thing our ceo and ceo staff are very very particular about like we clearly have to define goals and kpis what we want to achieve and we are still a company of that size even though we are considered as a big company we all feel like every one of us can move the needle mm. and create an impact and so when whatever we do is connected to the top goals uh, the top line goals i think people are not worried about oh if i do this what will i do we don't have that fear especially when you're in hyper growth mode you are really all thinking about is scaling and moving fast but at the same time not compromising on quality and experience and when you are in a software company with full of engineers i think they would love this kind of open setup and we are also been recruiting a lot of early career talent coming into the pool where they want to be self served they don't want to be given okay you do this do this way no more run books work for them they are like no no enable me i will figure out how to do it and so we are also adapting big time i think culture plays a big role and as long as all of your employees see the overall vision and where we are headed and why everybody has a role on to create that impact i think that fear factor will not be there fear of being left out will not be there and people will be supporting and helping each other so that we can keep moving forward together also yeah based on that answer i was you know it sounds for sure like other companies might be hampered with bureaucracy uh it sounds like you don't have that problem it's like hey we are encouraging people to take control of this and 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 build towards the future yeah i think and it's also self realization albert like yeah. we need to know we 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 had a legacy but we are a different company now where we are continuously need to continuously provide value to our customers and to retain and and to show that in the subscription model so we realize that uh, having that self realization is an important aspect of where we need to go yeah absolutely when i think about what you've said in some of the earlier conversation also you mentioned certain technologies that you've invested in things have changed to make it easier to do this what are you investing in you mentioned rpa earlier what are you investing in or what are you really excited about seeing inside your organization that's going to help this automated future because rpa is one of the ones that is obviously a big but you know it's a category that didn't exist 5 years 6 years <laughs> it yeah. feels like it didn't exist right now it's huge give us an idea where you're investing your time energy and where 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 do you see technologies and categories that are most promising to help automate the future see uh, we are investing across the board in technology people and process i would say mm. because in some cases it's more up leveling of our talent to really leverage some of these tools and the technology also is changing at a rapid pace than before so we have been bringing in new tools testing it out what makes sense and if it doesn't make sense we are changing tools behind the scenes that the user should not even know <laughs> as an example i told you we had a bot and we just launched a universal bot behind the scenes there is a technology change that happened but the users don't know from for them it's a capability that existed and today it's coming from a different technology behind the scenes so that's something that we have to be very mindful of when we are building because the technology is changing at such rapid pace we are always thinking about capabilities that we are giving to our employees as an example or even customers they should not know or we should not expect them to learn that particular technology yeah because if we are doing it right we are hiding that complexity they are only leveraging and consuming the capability not a technology and so we have been very very particular about giving that experience layer 
where they don't need to know about a particular technology and so we have been investing whether it's uh, rpa chatbots or just automation workflow automations or automations within a particular applications whether it is within salesforce or whether it is across different landscape whatever we have some within the applications we are trying to automate some connecting multiple applications the workflows there are different technologies that we are investing in you know you mentioned it loosely just a moment ago about all these different technologies but this like this culture that and i i keep pulling out of what you're saying this it's kind of the culture of experimentation and learning that you you seem to have cultivated totally. right because you mentioned before hey we're testing we are testing we are we want an outcome like you said earlier we want this outcome there are great suppliers of technology that could possibly help us get there and you're saying hey we're going to figure out which one of these is going to help us get there faster better whatever the case may be something better than all the others and this constant thirst for application and then you also then what you said very customer centric too right where you said hey if we do it the people using it cannot know exactly that there's something changed because that's very customer centric because if i know it's a problem it'll <laughs> I'll, I'll put a wrench in your automation because I want to introduce the support tickets. You're going to get flooded with support tickets. You won't be automating anything. <laughs> exactly. Because it's a change fatigue for the user. Yeah. For them, it's a change and a lot of stress and we don't want to have them that stress. You know, this, this show is sponsored by Salesforce. You mentioned it earlier. You know, they also want to know how, how are you using Salesforce also to help you in your automation journey? Because for a lot of people, like I know that we, what we did back in the day was mostly about contracts, right? So Salesforce held all our customer information and definitely automated the contracting process. It was a huge help. For yourselves, what are you guys using Salesforce for? Because obviously a treasure trove of data about customers in there. And it sounds like you guys, since you're so customer centric, how is that helping you implement technologies, automations to help better your customer and employee experiences? Yeah, I think see, multiple ways, but one or two examples, if I can highlight, you touched on it. Let's take that example, customers. Our customer customer information typically in any CRM resides in Salesforce. And if you look at the model that we have, we have sales organizations and we have customer success organization who are also working with our customers. And the one thing that we want to do right is how do we enable both the salespeople as well as the customer success people know about the customers well enough and equip them in a right way quickly so that they can have meaningful conversations with customers to drive better outcomes for our customers. It's not about the tools and their jobs. What we ultimately think is the outcome we are working on is how do they serve customers better? And so, which means we need to make it seamless for them of creating, and we created something within Salesforce called Customer Portal, where we created this so that when salespeople, sales reps, sales agents, or customer success managers or agents go in, they particularly inquire about a customer, it gives them the required information that both sales needs and customer success needs and one set of information. It's not like two different things. Things are stitched behind the scenes, automated, but both of them see the same information and they can have meaningful conversation with the customers in driving their outcomes. And so that I have seen a lot of, we call named account reps and salespeople tell that that was so useful. I had the information that I needed quickly. So I was I was able to have meaningful conversation with the customer, which landed in a great outcome for both customer and Autodesk. So that's one example. And the other thing we use is uh, we have omni-channel. So we use Salesforce voice, which is connected to be different telecom providers behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But when a customer calls us, we want to make sure skill-based routing. 
we want to make sure when we route a particular call to an agent, it goes to the right agent who has the right skill for the reason why customer is calling. We don't want to randomly send the call to whoever is available on the floor and then keep uh, routing it to different people. We've all been there. <laughs> As poor customers, we've all been there. We call someone and you feel like you repeated the problem like seven times. Like, And then like, let me pass you to this next apartment. Yeah. And you're like, oh, do I have to say it again? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we, we have been there too, but this is the learning that we have had. Yeah. How do we get better at it? And how do we make the best use of the agent's time on the floor? Because each one has different strength. So how do we route it to the right place? One agent has good experience. Mainly customer also has a great experience in getting the issue resolved or getting whatever they needed. So I think all of these things play a huge role as examples. That last piece you just hit at, I've never thought of it that way, but I can see it, right? Whatever you're best at, you're probably going to be happy. You're going to be able to solve those problems the best so that your experience is best because we as employees, I mean, people inevitably want to feel like they're helping and contributing. So if I'm frustrated because I'm constantly getting hit with questions that I've got to research or look up, then I know, I mean, I got to know. I know, I know I'm not doing that great because every question is like, I don't know the answer. I got to look this up. Exactly. And so I can see that it's actually building a better work experience too for your agents, right? Because they're more, I guess, in their domain expertise. Exactly. Ah, that's something I've never thought about, man. That is, that, I mean, now that you say that, it's so simple. I don't know why it's uh, <laughs> not more widely adopted. I guess it's easy to say, hard to do, right? <laughs> we, we're all going through the journeys. So we'll get, we all take our steps and learnings to get there before we get there. Yeah. When you mentioned earlier, the part of Autodesk is the, this new division or this new lines of business where you're actually really helping customers bring their physical designs to life, right? So I've designed it in AutoCAD. Okay, that's only that's now I've reached that next step. The next step, of course, is to get the product or physical product made. I can definitely see the need for automation in that realm of the business significantly because now you're talking about doing a lot of things that you know, you won't have the signals. It's a lot different to automate for software, I've always said, because in software, you can change things really quickly and you can recognize the signals of what's happening. And then the impact or the cause or outcome needs to happen in the software as well. So if you're like providing updates for a SaaS user, that's easy. But when you're helping or like the your uh, success teams do things in the physical world, getting that data to know that, hey, this design's been approved, hey, that they've gone through this revision, that that means that this is going to be implemented soon. I can see these like cues being immensely helpful because getting things built in the physical world is quite challenging. I didn't know if you had the same experiences and if your customers were seeing the same thing. I think that customers, as they start using more and more of our products and incorporating them up in the chain, I think this is the value we expect them to see. Mm -hmm. Like them also having little wastage to no wastage when they bring their designs to reality. Because sometimes what happens, you have an idea, thought process, then you bring to reality, you didn't expect the way it used to be, then you go back and do. We don't, see, we, the, while we want to save some, it's not just about their cost of doing projects, it's also sustainability is a big thing. Mm -hmm. All of us talk about it. Where we feel strongly is we make a huge impact. If you are not wasting, doing wastage to our natural resources, which are always scarce, you are also helping in saving the planet. And we all have a responsibility. And I feel like our design products really help customers to be mindful while they're creating. They're also creating in a sustainable way, which will help the planet for long term. So that's what really connects to the purpose. I get really excited about it because it's not just about you're doing something. You're doing something that helps your customers, also the broader planet and ecosystem. 
that's pretty fascinating. Is that some, it sounds like, I mean, for sure, it's something you guys are expanding into. Like what, what could it potentially look like in the future? Or maybe we're already there. Cause I'm, when you said that, I started imagining like, what if Autodesk was tied into the supply chain so that I'm designing something, let's say made of metal and it could figure out like, Hey, you should order this match metal because this is all you need. I was like, what? Like, that'd be cool. Yeah, and, and and I'm sure all of these people, that's why I keep telling, if you are in a building, the building that was constructed or the chair that you're sitting or the phone that you're using, very likely that they have been designed using Autodesk software before they came into the real world. Right. So that's why I tell, and that's how I connect people to, when, we tell, when I talk about Autodesk and who we are, that's how I explain so that, that connects to them. Oh, everything actually, everything, literally everything. Yeah, yeah. And I can see that, like the the downstream impacts of, of automation potential. Like when you say that, how how do you envision? What do you think like the next five years is going to unlock? Because innovation goes so rapid. I hate to say ten because ten's like I don't even know what will happen in yeah. ten years. <laughs> but but five years seems more plausible. Like what's going to happen in twenty twenty seven? What do you th- how do you think this is going to change the way your customers, the way us as uh, consumers of these products? What do you think is going to unlock? You mentioned the better impacts for the environment. That makes sense. Like being able to more laser in yeah. on optimal materials, optimum uses of materials to reduce material waste. That makes a lot of sense. Give us an, any other ideas of how this type of automation and innovation is going to impact the future. Yeah. On top of that, right, I think companies, including Autodesk, I mean, if companies are not doing intelligent or hyper automation today, they need to know that they're behind. Mm. Uh, but because it's you have to either have some of the work around automation, irrespective of what industry you are, you need to leverage it. It's it's not about replacing human workforce or not. I don't. I'm not a big believer of that. I'm a big believer of augmenting uh, technology with human beings to really scale things. And so I feel like we have talked about citizen development and citizen automation. It is going to be huge, and consumerization is going to be. If not already there, it'll become the expectation of users going forward. And the only way you can continuously learn about users, because users' behavior keeps changing. It's not a one thing constant. You like this today and tomorrow you like something else. And how do I learn? I can't keep asking you to tell me what do you like. Based on your behavior, we need to know what do you like, Albert. And then I need to give you that personalized experience. So this hyper-personalized experiences is what we will be expecting to create irrespective of what industry you are. And that requires a lot of understanding about the underlying data as well as creating that appropriate automation and stitching things together to get you that experience and to hide that complexity. I think that's it's a fun play. I mean, wherever you are, I think it'll be really fun to really do these kind of experiences and to give, whether it's to your employees, customers, or partners. I think there'll people are going to be having this expectation. And that's where we will need to be investing in this, especially data space, understanding and leveraging the data that we have about the users while maintaining privacy and other aspects, because which are very important, but really giving them that personalized experiences through automation is going to be a huge, huge factor in future. I think you echoed the sentiments of some of the RPA leaders that we've had on our shows before talking about exactly that, which is, Automation does not take jobs. Automation unlocks innovation, meaning you no longer have exactly. to do or waste your time doing things that weren't creating a ton of value. It was more like, hey, it was brute force labor. Like you had to get these reports filed or you had to create uh, these work, you know, you had to create these work streams or you had to be a part of the process 
Whereas if you could just automate the back end process, we think about it on our side. So like kind of give you a little snapshot, even though my company's way small, right? It's not, it's not, it's not an Autodesk, but we, we work in the podcast industry and the reality is a lot, a lot of the podcast tools don't really have APIs for publishing. They all are trying to like make you use their product. So if you want to put it across many platforms, it's sometimes a bit of a challenge and, and the data collection is a real challenge. Uh, so, so like, but that's where a lot of our time is spent. I think to myself, like if there were ever APIs, 100% our team should, just like you said, invest in the automation so that we have a better outcome. My outcome is I would want my customers to have a, you know, more real-time reporting. So they, and also my employees not to have to do it. Yeah. They can do something interesting. Like, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't create value. I mean, it's valuable, but it doesn't create value. You know, it's, it's a lot of labor. I'm with you. When you think about the future of Autodesk, you know, Autodesk is such a massive company and it's also a company of companies, right? So if I go to like, for example, if I were to go to the Autodesk uh, social media page and for anyone that wants to go check this out, you can go to get, get an idea of how big Autodesk is. Okay. They, I mean, if I go there, there's like, uh, there's like 50, more than 50 <laughs> social media pages. Um, you're talking about different industries, different groups, different departments, different, it sounds like products. You have university, construction solutions, assemble systems, uh, BIM 360, building connected. How does this work? Does this, are these all divisions in your company? Do you oversee the whole thing? Give me an idea, give our audience an idea of how big Autodesk is. Yeah. See, see we have definitely multiple product lines within those industry verticals. And where we are focusing, and of course, as an, all employees of the company, I am responsible for their internal technology and their experiences and the enterprise systems that I own and manage. Uh, the What we are trying to do is, as a subscription company, how do we create a platform kind of experience? The next step that we want to do is, we also want all of these products we may have customers who have who are using 50 of our products as an example that's wild <laughs> and we don't and, and because these are like designers that's their main job yeah and so how do we really give them that platform with continuous new enhancements and features because with subscription model it's not a one time thing mm. it's continuous value we want to generate and we are also not innovating at the scale of okay wait for an yearly release to give you the next DVD. No, <laughs> it's like 50 releases today. <laughs> we iterate very fast, which means they need to keep getting continuous value. So we are thinking more about platform concept. How do we give them this platform where they can really innovate and leverage the products that we have, multiple products and not needing to figure out each one separately. So we are putting a lot of investment and really, again, if you look at all of these products are complexity for customers, how do we hide that so that we give them a set of platforms that they can use to really get? And all they get is capabilities and features from all of these products. And they don't need to know, oh, I need to go and get this product if I need to get this feature. That's something that we want to hide. And we really want to give them the subscription kind of true subscription experience where you need to worry about the platform and capabilities keep appearing as we innovate. Yeah. And I'm gotta ask this question because this is a question you know that every or not every I would say yeah no, I'll say every every CIO has to deal with this challenge right because at the same time you're unlocking like independence and innovation at the team correct some autonomy like this team is working right at scale yeah but but you also have to have commonality in some capacity correct because this has to this has to come together <laughs> you can't have come together you can't exactly. have each company turn into its own 
Frankenstein of tech stack that doesn't work totally with your the main product, right? You can't have it so that like you just totally. mentioned, you can't have a major design shop. Like if I'm a massive manufacturing architecture studio, whatever it may be, log into every Autodesk product is just completely different. Like because then it'll never come together. Yeah. So how do you maintain that balance? We're saying, hey, we're going to use best of breed. You're going to have autonomy. You got to pick this. But at the same time, you can't diverge too far from this because otherwise this is too hard to assemble together and deliver as a unified experience. Yeah. No, I think see, there is vertical strength and there is a horizontal experience that we need to create. We have to connect all these verticals together uniformly to give horizontal experience. And that's where we are investing a lot of time where our CTO organization are spending a lot of time in how to do that, mm -hmm. bring all product verticals together or have a commonality where we can we reuse so that we don't need to keep reinventing stuff. See, at the end of the day, all we are looking for is how do we give more value to our customers frequently? And how do we hide this? And wherever it is not needed, redundant work that we used to do, can we avoid? Or can we leverage each other teams rather than reusing or recreating what others have created? No, that's, it's a no question, a big challenge. I got, I, I'm just curious for yourself, how long is like, uh, I guess you guys do proof of concepts. How long are those phases of, hey, if I want to build something, give, give me an idea how this, how this, how this project kicks off. Yeah, no, I'd say it varies initiative to initiative. We definitely have a very agile mindset. Mm -hmm. So we want to test out things. And sometimes it takes a couple of sprints to really figure out certain things, test out proof of technology and proof of concept. And sometimes it takes three to four months. Mm -hmm. And But it, it is still definitely still in the order of months and sprints, not years. Yeah. As an example, it's not like a waterfall mentality. We just do everything and figure out after a year or two that oh, this doesn't work and you have to scrap it kind of stuff. That, that, that mentality is not there. While we are okay to fail, but we want to learn very quickly. There you go. See, that, that agility is definitely the common theme. And uh, like you said, your customers are demanding too because they keep changing themselves. Prakash, it was awesome having you coming back and joining us on IT Visionary to talk more about automation's role in building the future. I think Autodesk has a unique, you particularly have a unique seat because you are building software that is building the future. Uh, so and then you have to service that future. Um, this is particularly interesting. I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionary. So Prakash, but before you go, we still have it, baby. It's the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, <laughs> the number one platform digital transformation of every experience. This is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. You came from CDs, now you're shipping software as a service. Rewind 20 years. What advice would you give yourself? It's a good question. See, I would say uh, take more bold decisions, be more bold, and don't be afraid to fail. I, I feel like I used to be more conservative than what I am today. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And so one advice that I would give is take more risks, take bold, bold, bold decisions, uh, it, it'll all work out in long term. I like that. If you could change one thing about your industry, what would it be? See, if you don't think, just not about my industry, this is one thing I'm super passionate about, uh, diversity and inclusion. While this is a topic that everybody speaks about it, I'm a person that believes that this is not just a, a slide on an all-hands deck or a poster on the wall. We take it very seriously. And while there's so much thing inequality that we're trying to catch up on mm -hmm. i feel like I, I i wish that this diversity and inclusion the gap that is there is bridged faster and faster 
So that's one thing that I would say, this is one space where I hope things move faster and get to a better state that where we all want to be, because it will drive good outcomes too, actually. Diverse opinions, diverse viewpoints really get better outcomes. We have all seen so many statistics on it. So that's one thing that I have a strong opinion on. No, I couldn't agree more. For yourself, what do you find to be the, the current most challenging thing to deal with as a leader? See, as a leader, right, like it's the adaptability. We have seen in the last several years, things have been very fluid. Yeah. The world has been going through a few <laughs> yeah. changes. So I would say some of the characteristics is like being adaptable, having that humility and, 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 and empathy and understanding about people. And really, I think it is making me a better leader. Over the last two years, I feel like these are some of the things that I've been deliberately focusing on, which is helping me to be a better leader every day. A lot, lot more to go, but it, it's, it's continuously helping. No, no I, I think that's your adaptability is exactly that. I mean, I think that's the one thing the current leaders, every current leader probably has to have is whatever it is you're doing today, it might not work tomorrow. You just got to be good with that. You just got to be good with that and say, hey, I'm going to solve the problem for tomorrow, right? Yeah. And some of the ch aspects, right? Like when you talk like the challenging aspects of being a leader, we have this culture code of think, feel and do where I like we have attributes, culture values of where, where we say being smart, innovative, and then where we say being impactful, inclusive, and being pragmatic and courageous in the way we do things. So we put them under the category of think, feel, and do. It's very important for leaders to balance all the three aspects. It's not this or that. Yeah. The, that that's where it becomes challenging. How do you balance all the think, feel, do aspects of the culture values? There you go. Hey, Prakash, it was awesome having you. I I'll just like your mindset of how, and how you explain what you're building there at Autodesk. When I think about building, you guys are building the future for people building the future across 13,000 plus employees. At least that's what it says on LinkedIn. There's probably any more, right? Um, I just think, I think about the immense challenges that are there. I mean, like you kind of hit at it. The only way you or the company is going to solve it is, is these solutions got to come from the people that are closest to the problem. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. For those of you that are curious, yes, Prakash said it, Autodesk is probably used by 100% of the companies that built the things that are in your house, your chairs. Your th <laughs> like if, you, if you're sitting on it, if you're living in it, if it supports any weight at all, probably built on Autodesk. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you, Albert, for having me. <laughs>